You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. Hey guys, hope that you are well. We are in part two of our series entitled Samson. Uh, Last week, we walked through the first part of the story of Samson found in the book of Judges. We talked about gifts, uh, and if we're we're using them for personal gain or if we're using our gifts and talents for the kingdom of God, for loving other people well, if you didn't uh, hear that message, you can check it out here on last week's podcast. This week, we're going to start in Judges chapter 14 verses 10 through 20. So all of our passages tonight, uh, except one, are quite long. So stick with me here. We're going to read through them and we're going to pull out some points. So Judges chapter 14, verses 10 through 20 say this. Says, now his father went down to see the woman. Remember, this is the woman that Samson decided what he wanted and he wanted her to be his wife. So Now his father went down to see that woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose thirty men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty sets of clothes. If you can't tell me if you can't tell me the answer, you must give me thirty linen garments and thirty sets of clothes yourselves. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. Now, remember, this is in uh, relation to the fact that last week he killed a lion. And as he's passing the carcass days later, a beehive has has taken place inside the carcass of a lion and there's honey in there and he takes honey out and he eats it. So out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us or we're going to burn you and your father's household to death. Seems extreme. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle and you haven't even told me the answer. He said, I haven't even explained it to my father and mother. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people before sunset on the seventh day. The men of the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Now I don't care what culture you're a part of. That is incredibly crude and offensive to his wife. Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him him at the feast. So the first point this week is nothing fruitful comes from arrogance. Nothing fruitful comes from arrogance. There are going to be moments in every one of our lives that lead to pride and arrogance. It is one of the many downfalls of our humanity, but we have to question whether or not we're going to check ourselves, whether or not we're going to let others check us, or if we're going to ride the wave of arrogance. And I can promise you that riding the wave of arrogance will only lead to negative outcomes. Nothing fruitful ever comes from arrogance. Samson is the poster boy for arrogance. He was, has the, he has the world at his fingertips and he knows it. And, and what we have to understand is that Samson was someone who was always looking for the immediate pleasure. He was always looking for something that it was going to quote unquote fulfill him in the immediate. He wasn't really future thinking or forward thinking. And what we have to understand as people who follow Jesus is that short-term gains lead to long-term pain. Short-term pain, short-term gains lead to long-term pain. We want to be people who play the long game. We're not always looking for the immediate satisfaction. We are looking to be faithful to Jesus and able to look future forward and say, okay, what is going to be the most most effective thing for the long-term? You see, then Samson's wife is given to his companions because of his dysfunctional 
his dysfunctional arrogance. And, and what we have to understand is that personal dysfunction will lead to dysfunctional relationship relationships. His personal dysfunction led to a, a dysfunctional relationship with his wife, with his quote unquote companions, the 30 guys who are chosen for him. So I don't know how close they were. Probably not very close. I don't know if anybody would really want to be friends with somebody who is as arrogant as Samson. So personal dysfunction leads to dysfunctional relationships. He even had a dysfunctional relationship with his parents. We need to be people who are willing to get their house in order. And I mean that in two different ways. First of all, we need to get order in ourself, order to self. If you are not healthy, you will not find healthy relationships or create healthy relationships with others. You have to be physically healthy, relationally healthy, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy. That is how you then create healthy relationships or find healthy relationships. You need to put yourself around healthy people. And then we, outside of having order of our immediate self, we need to have order of our immediate circle. Too often, we want to be people who go and change the world. We want to impact the world, but we don't even have the capacity to healthily impact the people that are closest to us. Let's be people who get ourselves in order and get our immediate circle in order. And then we take that immediate circle and then together, collectively, we go and impact the world. Nobody ever impacts a world by, world by themselves. This isn't about solo missions. This is about having people and doing things for the kingdom of God and to love people well in tandem with one another. Samson's eternal impact was minimal because he operated out of his arrogance. Our eternal impact will undoubtedly do the same thing. We will have minimal impact in minimal eternal impact. If we operate out of arrogance, we want to be people who operate out of humility, who operate, operate out of the truth and understanding that we need other people in our lives. The story goes on in Judges chapter 15, verses one through eight. It says, later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was sure, so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't companion? Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead, Samson said to them, or take, take her and said, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. Remember the 30 companions that he has are Philistine people. The Philistines are ruling over Israel. So he is slighted by the Philistines when his wife is given to one of them. I'm going to really harm them. I'm going to get even with the Philistines. I really am going to harm him. So, so he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. The Bible is really messy sometimes and people act very much in humanity and they take things to drastic measures, obviously. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. Next question. What is our concept of doing what is right? What is our concept of doing what is right? Let me take that bit a, a bit further. Are we more intent on doing what is right in our own eyes or what is right in God's eyes? Are we more intent on doing what is right in our own eyes or what is right in God's eyes? Samson's response to his broken relationship with his wife, his broken relationship with his dad, his broken relationship with his father-in-law, his broken relationship with his companions was that he had the right. All the dysfunction and his dysfunctional arrogance led him to believe that he had the right to seek vengeance. I have the right to get even. My question would be, how often in our own lives do we justify our actions because it, because it is a response to our circumstance instead of a response to our calling? 
How often do we justify our actions because it is a response to our circumstance instead of a response to the call on our lives? Example, they wronged me, so I am going to wrong them back. They hurt me, so I am going to hurt them back. I am hurt, so I'm going to justify the fact that I'm doling the pain with whatever it may be, sex, drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, whatever it is. What what am I going to dole the pain with? I'm going to justify that. I'm stressed, and in that... I'm, I'm going to take part in this sinful habit, but the sinful habit helps me de-stress and I'm going to justify it because it's, it's really not a harm to anybody else. It's only helping me relax. You see, we often justify our actions because it's a response to our circumstance and we don't line up our response with our calling. Would we be people who do everything we can to line up our response with our calling, who line up our responses with what Jesus calls us? And that is beloved. Would we ask ourselves the question, does, does my response reflect my title? My title is beloved. My title is chosen. My title, my, my title is child of God. Does my response reflect my title? Too often we are focused on doing what we think is right and what we think is justifiable instead of taking the time to actually seek out God and his will and what he knows to be right. Would we be people who pause, who take pleasure in the pause and we say, Jesus, what is right? I think I know, but I want to make sure it lines up with what you know is right. You see, the entire book of Judges is incredibly messy. And in, in a couple chapters later, Judges 17, 6, it says why. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. There will be chaos if we all do what we just see as fit. We have a king. His name is Jesus. Let us be people who recognize that and let him reign in our lives. As we make decisions, as we have responses, would we be people who respond to our calling or within our calling, not just respond to our circumstance? The next point this week, Samson was a product of his environment. Brokenness breeds brokenness. Samson's environment bent to his will because he was anointed. His parents didn't seem to want to parent him, and his companions were chosen instead of gained. There was no real genuine relationship in his life. But Samson could have found genuine relationship, but he liked how things were lining up for him. And I think that we can fall into the same trap. And while we might not be able to always choose our physical environment, what we are born into, we we can't. We can't choose who our family is. We can't choose where we were born. We can't choose. We can choose our relational environment. We have the power to determine our relational environment. There's a phrase that many of us have heard. It says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I think it rings more true more times than not. I remember as, as a high schooler, as a young person, I would always roll my eyes and be like, okay, well, like my friends don't determine who I am. But the older you get and the more relationships you're in, you understand that your relationships have a huge impact on who you are and how you act, the way you think and the way you treat other people. So show me your friends and I'll show you your future. We have to surround ourselves with health and be a part of the health that surrounds other people. Am I saying that you can't have friends who don't believe the same things that you? No, absolutely not. You should be surrounded by a, a community of people who, who have differing opinions, but people who are healthy can, can be people who have different opinions, who, who can have different opinions. You, you, you surround yourself with people who don't love Jesus and you be Jesus to those people 100%. But if people are toxic, if people are dangerous, if people don't surround yourself with those people, are you the influencer or are you being influenced? Put yourself in healthy environments. It's so important that you choose your relational environment well. The story goes on to say uh, in Judges 15 verses 9 through 16, it, it says this. 
The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lahai. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? So the people of Judah, these are Israelites. We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves agreed they answered we will only tie you up and hand you over to them we will not kill you so they bound him with two new ropes and led him from the rock as he approached lehi the philistines came toward him shouting the spirit of the lord came powerfully upon him the ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men then samson said with a donkey's jawbone i have made donkeys of them with a donkey's jawbone i've killed a thousand men he's a poet apparently okay so we have to get this out of the way God still uses a broken man like Samson to fulfill his purposes. And it can be really frustrating for us because we're, we're reading the story of a single narrative. We're reading the story of Samson. But what we also have to understand is that God is working out a story within the Philistine people. And the Philistine people have walked away from Yahweh. They have walked away from God. And so there's punishment to be had for them and their people. And, and God has a purpose. And he's, he, and he's trying to correct the Philistines. And he's trying to show them that apart from him, like their their nation, they're they they're they're not going to be able to stand against the people of God. Like he is he's asserting his power, and so we can get really frustrated that a broken man like Samson is used. But remember that God uses messy, broken people still today, like me, like you, to fulfill His purposes. And thank God that He does. So that it's a it's a whole different story, or it's a whole different idea that we could we could really dive into about how God uses imperfect people to do His will. But let's not get caught up on that and understand this next point is that only God allows us to be who we are called to be. Samson took a Nazarite vow. Samson did things in his life. He hit the gym a lot. He did all kinds of stuff, but he was never going to be the man that God really, really needed him to be apart from God. God was the one. The power of God came upon Samson and he killed a thousand men. Samson didn't do a ton of push-ups and that allowed him to kill a thousand men. It doesn't matter how many how much time you spend in the gym, you're not going to kill a thousand men as a human being. Like you have to be equipped by God himself. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Should we still put in work to perfect our gifts and talents? Absolutely. If there's a calling on our lives and God is calling us to be somebody, should we should we work really, really hard to be those people? Absolutely. But we will never reach 100% of our, our capacity. We'll never reach 100% of, of our potential if we try to do it apart from God. God allows us to be fully who he has called us to be. We will never achieve that thing on our own. We have to be people who work harder at surrendering than we do at working harder if that makes sense. Like it's not about the effort. It's about being intentional about surrendering our lives to Jesus. And we can put in a lot of work to perfect our gifts and talents with the aim of surrendering those gifts and talents to Jesus. And then God will allow us to be the people that he has called us to be. So some of you know my story. Some of you don't. Um, super condensed version is that I, I wanted to be in ministry and then walked away from ministry. Didn't walk away from Jesus, but walked away from the idea of being in ministry. And in the span of that, I started working at a restaurant. I worked at a restaurant for 10 years and there was no plan and there was no purpose. And there was, that's a whole nother thing. There, there was purpose to be had there. I just didn't see it for a really long time. But, um, through, through a series of events, I ended up interning at the church and then working part-time here at the church. And I worked for two years. I worked part-time 15 hours a week here at 40 hours a week at the restaurant that I was working at. And I just remember just being super frustrated by that because I had like the, the calling on my life had been rekindled. I wanted to be in full-time ministry. And I felt like if I, if I worked on my preaching, if I worked on my pastoral skills, if I worked on my study, if I worked on all those things, like 
Like I was going to earn a full-time position. And that's just the mentality that I had. I'm going to earn this position. I'm going to grind my way into to, to earning a full-time position. And, and it just wasn't happening. And I was getting frustrated. And I remember talking to my wife, Larissa, and I remember talking to, to mentors. And I was just like, man, I think I'm going to quit the church and I'm going to try to figure out something else. And I remember sitting in my office and I and just being like, Lord, I'm so frustrated because like I want to do this, but I don't know. Maybe this isn't your will for me because I'm not getting this full-time job and I'm still having to like work 40 hours a week at a restaurant that I don't like working at and it doesn't pay that well, but I have to pay my bills and I have to support my family and all these different things, all the things that go through your head. And I remember sitting there and being like, you know what? I like, I'd never suggest an ultimatum. An ultimatum is a very dangerous thing to do with Jesus. And I don't know if I would consider this an ultimatum, but I was like, just make yourself clear, like just in a, in a cry of panic and, and faith and whatever. I was just like, just make yourself incredibly clear because I'm on the brink of having to make a decision. And I think that the decision is going to be to walk away from ministry. And I kid you not the next day, my, my boss, my head pastor, Nate, he, he walks into my office and he says, Hey, I think, uh, that it's time that we bring you on full time. Would you like that at the beginning of the year? This was November of 2015. He said, Hey, um, in a couple months when the new year rolls around, I would like you to come on full time. You see, it didn't matter how hard I tried. It didn't matter how much effort I put in. It was the moment that I surrendered to Jesus that something actually happened. We have to understand that God will call us and God will position us but it's only going to be exactly what he wants it to be when we put more effort into surrendering than we do effort into working harder. It's not about our effort. It's about him and our surrender. So I want to end with this simple truth. We will face opposition. We will face opposition. Sometimes that opposition is going to be really obvious. There will be people in our lives or situations that arise that are in direct conflict with what we are trying to do. I would encourage you, like think think of those people or conflicts or 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 situations as uh, our Philistines. I'm not saying you go kill them with a donkey jawbone. I'm not saying that you do that. But like Samson, the Philistines were the the obvious conflict. They were the obvious opposition. But the the biggest opposition to Samson becoming who God was calling him to be was internal, not external. What was happening inside of Samson was the biggest threat to him not becoming who God had called him to be. So like that, I think that's true for so many of us. Our opposition is more internal than it is external. So what inside us is in direct opposition to who God is calling us to be? Are we able to identify those things that are internal? Is it our arrogance? Is it our pride? Is it some sin issue? What is in direct opposition to who God is calling us to be? Because our internal opposition is often bigger than our external opposition. I think for most of us, if asked a question, where are you facing opposition? You would think of people or predicaments. I would think of people or predicaments predicaments. It's so hard for us to look internally and see where we are coming up short. So let us be people who first look internally and see where we're fighting against ourselves. It could be arrogance. It could be bride. It could be something else. It could be anything, but let us be people who look internal first. If we can be people who look internal first, if we can be people who get our house in order, the opposition will never be more than a thousand Philistines. And God can help us with that. We would be people who understand that if I can get my house in order, if I can make sure that my internal opposition isn't the thing that's getting my way, it's all external things, man, God's going to help me deal with people. God's going to help me in my relationships. God's going to help me deal with circumstances and predicaments. And God's going to help us deal with our internal stuff, but we have to be people of surrender. So let's do that. Let's be people who surrender our lives, people who look internal first and understand that we can do all things through him who strengthens us. 
Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.